the way of analysis that the Buddha used in giving guidance to his five companions in the the deer park outside of Varanasi is still the structure that is used today in terms of developing the quality of insight, clear seeing. The words anicca, dukkha, anatta roll off the tongue if you're familiar with Buddhist teachings and practice. These describe a particular sequence of deepening investigation, understanding. There's an exploring of experience, physical body, sensations, perceptions, things we see and hear, smell, taste, touch. Thoughts and emotions, memories, ideas, the whole field of sensory experience itself. Anichangwa, anichang, anichangwati. Is it permanent? Is it impermanent? The field of the five khandas in a state of change. Yes, of course. We hear the sounds of the machines changing, sensations of the body are changing, the sound of my voice is changing, patterns of, of light on our eyes, through our eyelids, changing, moods and thoughts, feelings, constantly fluid. Anichang Bhante, they're in a state of change. All of the five areas of the experiential field. The five focuses of the grasping mind. And the Buddha follows this through. So if things are in a state of change, even if something is pleasant, a beautiful blue sky on a summer morning, a sweet memory, a warm feeling in the heart, can it sustain itself? If it's in a state of change, even if something is beautiful and utterly pleasant, can that pleasantness sustain itself? Can anything, any event in the field of experience maintain itself as delightful, fulfilling, sweet, No he tangbante. No, they can't. So even a beautiful, refined, wholesome states of mind are dukkha because they can't sustain themselves. They're necessarily in a state of change. Therefore, even the most wholesome, beautiful, noble, fulfilling states of mind they're dukkha, unsatisfying, because they can't sustain that fulfilling quality. It's impossible. It's not the way the experiential field works in nature. So, if everything that is felt in the body, known through the mind, sensed through the sense organs, 
is in a state of fluidity and change, if it can't permanently and completely satisfy, is it appropriate to say of, it, of this, etang mama eso hamasmi eso me ata, this is mine, etang mama, eso hamasmi, this is what I am, eso me ata, this is my self, my true identity. No hetang bante. No, it's not. Can't be said. The basis of that question that the Buddha asks is that if there is an atta, an atman, then it would be perfectly satisfying. It would be stable, immovable, unshakable. The atman is supposed to be sat-chit-ananda, being, consciousness, and bliss, according to the, the philosophies of the Buddha's time and even in the Vedic philosophies of today. If there is an Atman, it should be permanently blissful, completely independent, utterly secure. But if something is in a state of change, if it can't satisfy, then is it appropriate to say of it, this is mine, this is what I am, this is my true self, this is my identity. No hetang bante. No, that can't be a true and real and absolute atta, the genuine atman, if such a thing ever existed. So the point of reflecting on anicca and dukkha, on uncertainty and change, unsatisfactoriness is to help the insight into not-self ripen, be, fu be fulfilled, be actualized. In this teaching then the Buddha uses three particular kinds of selfing. Etang mama, this is mine. So this can be thought of as the owning self, that feeling of a a me that owns this body, that owns these thoughts, that is the owner of emotions and material possessions and living places. And this is mine, my body, my life, my practice. Etang mama, this is mine. So that's the owning self-perception. Eso hamasmi, asmi means I am. So this is a sense of being, I am here. This is me, I am. A feeling of independence, substantiality of this I. I am separate from you, I am. So this can be thought of as the being self the perception or the formation of a of an identity, I amness. Eso hamasmi. Eso me atha. This is my true self, or this is my identity. Often, when this is described in the teachings, it's addressing like philosophical beliefs. I believe the 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 self is eternal or is 
separate from the world or is united with the universe and the world. But I feel more completely this is the what you can think of as the narrative self. So when you're asked, who are you? You say your name, your occupation. I'm a nun, I'm a monk, I'm a doctor, I'm a teacher, I'm unemployed, I'm a visitor. The narrative self is all of those stories that we tell about our family, our name, where we come from, nationality, age. That all comes under the eso me ata. This is my identity. What's on your passport? Social security number. How you exist in the minds and the memories, the ideas, the bureaucracies of the world. So the development of insight is illuminating these different kinds of selfing. We use the meditation to explore, to challenge these kinds of attitudes of mind, the owning self, being self, the narrative self. Also the feeling of, of me that chooses, I decide. This is my intention, my choice. I've taken action, I decided to, to do this, not to do that. There's also the deciding self, the choosing self. The feeling, I, I made this choice. I'm receiving the results of this choice. Or the experiencing self. It's me that feels, me that hears the sound of Ajahn Amro's voice or the machines working on the building site. The, the one who receives the patterns of perception, the experiencing I. And it's not as though all these identities genuinely and absolutely exist, not at all. We use the practice of insight meditation to challenge those assumptions about their solidity. So we can use inquiry, deliberate systematic inquiry when the mind is quite steady clear focused in the present to ask a question who does this body belong to does this mind have an owner who is it that knows the sound of the heavy machinery working on the building site Who is practicing meditation? Who has an age? What does this name refer to? The kinds of questions that can be used to carry out this form of inquiry are many and various. To look at these different areas of identification these areas of attachment of the grasping mind to look at owning, to look at the sense of being to look at the stories we say about our family, our name, 
uh, occupation, uh, reputation. And the point of these questions, when something like, who does this body belong to? Who does this mind belong to? There's not a search for a conceptual answer, some clever response. But the point of these kinds of inquiry is to open up, to challenge the assumptions that are being made. When the question is asked, who does this mind belong to? Who is practicing? If that kind of question is posed with clarity, precision, deliberateness, who does this mind belong to? The insight arises, the intuition arises, who is the wrong question? To ask who implies there's a person here, an individual, an I. So what is it that recognizes that who is the wrong question? Is that another, a more real me buried further inside? The wise one that knows is that, that the genuine I Each of these minds, these living systems, have their own patterns of attachment and identification. There might be very little sense of owning, but there might be a, a strong sense of being a doer. It might be clear that the mind, the body, doesn't have an owner. This is not anything that can be owned like material objects or mind states, how could there be an owner? That might be clear. But then when it comes to decision-making, it might seem that, well, it's really me. I'm deciding, I choose, I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do that. Maybe the deciding self has got a powerful and convincing solidity to it. Each of these patterns of conditioning and perception that we call ourselves, these minds, these living systems that we call our lives, they're all formed in different configurations, different patterns. So, it's up to each mind to notice, to awaken to where the areas of attachment and identification are strongest and to let go of all of them. Using this pattern of inquiry, not to come up with some clever conceptual answer, but to puncture the habits of identification. In that moment of, oh, there isn't a me that decides. There isn't a me that owns this. There's feeling, there's knowing, but no knower. Oh, that space, that gap that occurs immediately after a question is put, that's the point. The silence of the awake mind 
when it's dropped its habitual attachments. That's the point of these questions. As the practice deepens, then not just aspects of identity can be explored, but the nature of time. Letting go of time, the Dhamma is a kaliko, timeless. We can use the development of insight to challenge, question, let go of the belief in time passing, in location, the sense of here-ness. The Dhamma is a kaliko, timeless, it's unlocated. Awareness doesn't apply. Three-dimensional space is only meaningful in terms of rupakanda. The namakandas, the mind, doesn't exist anywhere. Awareness does not apply. Or does it? Explore. We use the, the capacity to inquire and question, to explore. With the mind has been permanently, solidly attached to the sense of place, three-dimensional space. Take the opportunity to question that. Where is here? Where is the mind? What is here-ness? What's its feeling, its texture? In this way, there's a letting go of time, of location, identity. Similarly, all conceptual structures, words, ideas, number. All of these are constructs, formations, sankhara. They're sankata. Dhamma itself is without a language. Can't be numbered. Measured. Language, number, doesn't apply. The jitta has no language. Can't be enumerated or measured. It's ananta, immeasurable. The development of insight is a way of questioning all these Un, unchallenged everyday assumptions, identity, time, location, language, number. Let go of all of it. None of it can really be held or owned anyway, so when we use the word letting go, it's not really as if it was actually genuinely held. It was just the impression of these things being solidly, fixedly established. So rather than letting go, the heart awakens to the fact that none of it was ownable, none of it was solid or real or personal in the first place. It's only the Dhamma aware of its own nature. This is what is present. Timelessly,
immovably. This is what is here, which is a here without a there. Dhamma aware of its own nature. 